when I found out I had cancer the first time, I don't know why, but I had a dream that I was uh, in a hospital bed outside. <laughs> and I was just, I was surrounded by everybody who loved me. I want you to meet Mimi Ankerholtz. Uh, my friends, my family, and everything like that. And that's how I went. It was at night, and I just laid there and fell asleep and just didn't wake up. And I thought that was beautiful. You know, it was, it was, it spoke to me. You just go to sleep and you don't wake up. She lives in a small mountain town in Colorado. She loves to crochet and she's tough. She gave birth to four children without any sort of pain medication. I first learned about Mimi through Compassion and Choices, a nonprofit organization that works to expand end-of-life options and improve care. My name is Andrea Mimi Ankerholtz, and my diagnosis is uh, stage four metastatic breast cancer that has spread to my bones. There's a picture of her on their website. She's wearing this beautiful sparkly dress and has this awesome pink hair. And there's a tattoo on her arm of a giraffe with sunglasses and a handlebar mustache. She's hugging her husband, Jesse, and he has this huge grin on his face. You can just tell they're really in love. In the personal stories section of the Compassion and Choices website, Mimi wrote, I wish I had decades to live, to see my children and grandchildren grow, to celebrate more anniversaries with my loving husband, Jesse. But at the age of 48, Mimi doesn't have decades to live. She has months. And during a time when so many things are out of her control, she's choosing to control one very important thing how she dies. She's pursuing what's called medical aid in dying. And before we jump into my interview with Mimi, I want to define medical aid in dying. Medical aid in dying is when a terminally ill adult with six months or less left to live is given the option to legally request from their physician life-ending medication. It's a way for people who are eligible to die peacefully in their sleep. The person requesting the medication must be mentally capable of making their own healthcare decisions and has to be able to self-ingest the medication without any assistance. There are a lot of safeguards embedded in these medical aid and dying laws. It's now legal in 10 states, including Colorado, where Mimi is from, and in the District of Columbia. According to a 2020 Gallup poll, 74% of Americans support medical aid and dying. But even with this level of support, there are people who still have questions and concerns. Talking about some of the concerns related to right-to-die legislation can be quite complex and nuanced, and I do think in certain situations they are worth exploring. But I want to be clear, this episode is not about the debate itself. It's about one woman's story. It's about Mimi. It's about her choice to pursue medical aid in dying and why it's important to her. And this is not a decision that Mimi has taken lightly. It's been a process. I imagine there are a lot of factors that contribute to why someone would want to pursue medical aid in dying. With Mimi, 
Let's start when she was first diagnosed with cancer. Can you um, just take me back to when you got your initial diagnosis and what that was like for you? Well, my initial diagnosis was in June of 2016 for for breast cancer. Uh, It was stage two uh, ductal carcinoma, and it was unbelievably shocking because no one in my family had breast cancer. So, and I never knew anybody that had breast cancer. So it wasn't like, you know, oh, okay, this is just kind of a normal thing. I didn't know what to expect. I kind of went into it um, with an unknown kind of feeling and thinking more of this is kind of of like just getting a a tune-up on the girls. And I didn't really put too much thought into it, uh, until the surgery happened. Mm. Um, and that's when everything, everything about my thought process changed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you wake up and you realize, uh, and, and I heard it, heard it put the most uh, appropriate way for me and everybody describes it differently, how they feel. Um, some people are completely fine and I don't know, understand how that happens. But, um, and I know that it's getting rid of the cancer and everything, but I felt like they had amputated part of my body. Mm. Uh, and I had to grieve their loss. And um, I didn't know that I was going to do that. I didn't know that I was going to start having major panic attacks and having meltdowns about everything. After Mimi's double mastectomy, she was hyper aware of everything. She would stub her toe and wonder if the pain from that was a sign that the cancer had come back. And then she would have back pain and wonder if that was a sign that the cancer was spreading. The thing is, several years after her diagnosis, the cancer did come back and it was spreading. So first plan was to send me for a PET scan. It showed that I had metastatic breast cancer on my left femoral head of my hip Hmm. and my T7 and T10 of my vertebrae. So when they call you and tell you, so you have metastatic breast cancer, I said, I don't know what that means. And he says, well, it means that your cancer has spread. So I'm relying on him as my doctor to give me information because I'm the type of person that I can overwhelm myself with Google. Oh, yeah. But um, I needed to know what metastatic breast cancer was. So I looked it up after I got off the phone with him. And I was like, this is, this is not good. This is terminal. Or it could be. So they were waiting for one more test. I remember the day he told me and my husband in his office that, yes, in fact, it was uh, metastatic breast cancer and it had spread and I was terminal. Mm. and that there was no cure, absolutely zero chance of remission, but I could have treatment done to prolong my life. Mm -hmm. And at that point in time, you're not really like listening anymore because you just heard terminal. I know what terminal means. I'm not stupid. So Mimi's oncologist went over all the treatment options. She recorded the conversation with her doctor, 
because she knew in the moment that it was all just too much to process. So she went home with Jesse, and they talked about her options. I said, I don't want to do treatment. And he said, why don't you want to do treatment? And I said, it's prolonging the inevitable. Mm-hmm. And I'm not really, I'm not really comfortable with doctors anyway. I have, I have the white coat syndrome, um, which means that like I have panic attacks and stuff around doctors. Mm-hmm. So I just said, I'm, I'm just not, I'm not comfortable with the idea of it. And I just really, I really don't want to do this. And he said, but it could buy you time to be here with us. Mm-hmm. So then that, that, that makes you think, well, you know, maybe I should look into this some more and stuff. And Mimi did just that. She went back to her oncologist and asked more about the treatment. And um, so he says, we're going we're gonna to use this drug and, and then this drug and then this drug. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what these are, you know, they're names to me. As for Mimi's husband, Jesse, well, he really wanted her to try something, thinking maybe the treatment won't be so bad. After all, he just really wanted his wife to live as long as possible. Mimi was open to the idea of hormone therapy, but she knew that she didn't want to do chemotherapy. So she asked her oncologist whether chemotherapy was part of the treatment plan. And I said... Am I going to have to do chemotherapy? And he said, no. Doing chemotherapy would be the very last thing that we would do. It would be like throwing everything at the wall to see what sticks. Mimi went on to get hormone therapy shots and radiation to her hip. After the radiation, she ended up having more pain than before she started. Then one day, Mimi got a call from a pharmacist. So then I get a phone call from a pharmacy that needs to go over my prescription because after I am finished with radiation, they're going to have me start this medication. It was Ibrantz. And she's explaining to me, you must wash your hands before and after touching these medications, these pills. You must keep these stored at room temperature. You must keep these away from other pills. Like you can't keep them in a pill container that you use, you know, mm-hmm. for daily. You can't, can't let them mix. Um, you have to make sure that uh, if you have any secretions, you know, saliva or tears, that you are very careful around kids and, and small animals. Mm-hmm. And I said, what do you, what is this? And she said, oh, it's chemotherapy. And I was like, excuse me? Mm. I, I, I said no to chemotherapy. And she said, well, it's your doctor has prescribed this. Mimi was not convinced that she wanted to take the chemotherapy. And I thought about it and thought about it. And I'm like, if I can't touch anything, you know what I mean, without washing my hands afterwards, but I'm putting this in my body, what is this doing to me? She thought about her two heart conditions and how the chemotherapy could potentially cause more damage to her heart. She thought about how sick she felt while on the hormone therapy. Um, The subcutaneous medication actually made me very, very sick. Uh, We're talking every day I was either throwing up or I had a migraine and throwing up. 
Um, and um, the subcutaneous shot uh, meant, made me menstruate for 30 days straight. Mm. And I was just, I was a complete mess. And she thought about her friend who had died from a complication due to the chemotherapy, not the cancer. And so she told her husband, Jesse, that she was done. I don't want to do this anymore. I didn't want to do this. We gave, gave it a try and I, I, I'm not doing it anymore. I have so many underlying health issues as it is that I'm terrified that I'm going to take this and I'm going to do more harm to my body and then I'm going to become a burden to my my family until I'm no longer here. Mm-hmm. So, no, I'm not going to do this. So I canceled ra- uh, radiation on my spine. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm done with treatment. I'm not doing it anymore. And my oncologist was not very happy with my decision. And um, I understand that, you know, he has his bills to pay and everything like that. And, you know, I mean, and, and, and I know that they care about you as an individual and want you to, you know, they, they see this as the best route, mm-hmm. chemotherapy and everything like that. So I had to explain to him again, it was not the best route for me and I was not going to change my mind. But her oncologist still wanted to send Mimi in for at least one more PET scan. Mimi agreed. This would be the PET scan to see if any of her treatment had actually worked. And it showed some slight improvement. Mm -hmm. So he adjusted my prognosis date. And it went from, uh, at first it was 6 to 12 months to uh, possibly up to 2 years. Mm -hmm. And he said, so see, if you continued, you could gain more years. You're not understanding what I'm saying. And then she had another PET scan, a month after she had stopped all her treatment. Not only was it still there, it had gotten worse, and it had spread already. Mm -hmm. So I just said, you know, uh, what's my new prognosis? And he says, well, it's back down to uh, 6 to 12 months. Mm -hmm. I said, how could it be 6 to 12 months? And he's like, well, that's just what it is. I said, is it like a guessing game? And he said, yes, it is. I said, so you're just guessing, but help me understand how before it was in three spots and it was six to 12 months and now it's in several spots and it's still six to 12 months. It didn't make sense to me. Now it's spreading and it's still the same. Well, you know, and he went into a whole litany of what, what he thought. And I didn't agree with that. Um, so I just said, you know what, I, I'm really not comfortable with any of this anymore. And it is at this point that Mimi started to consider medical aid in dying. And just as a heads up, you're going to hear Mimi call it death with dignity. Same thing, just different terms. And I started talking to my husband about, about uh, death with dignity it wasn't something that like, okay, I'm going to go from let's do treatment to let's go ahead and take pills or a concoction, whatever it is, the medication and uh, go to sleep and, you know, drift off. But it was something that was because of my anxiety. I needed to know that if I stopped doing this, that if the pain got to be too bad, I didn't have to suffer. 
And so after some back and forth with Mimi's oncologist about her prognosis, her oncologist signed off on hospice care, which is end-of-life care for people who usually have six months or less to live. And if you remember, to be eligible for medical aid in dying, one of the criteria is a prognosis of six months or less. So I started doing in-home hospice and you know, really talking to my husband, we had long, dark, deep conversations about what was going to happen, what, what could possibly happen, how long this could take. You know, we don't know anything anymore because we're not, you're, you don't do scans anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, You don't do tests anymore. You just kind of fly blindly, uh, except for that they have hospice nurses and the doctor, uh, but they just don't do testing anymore. Mm -hmm. So I said, you know, this is something that I want to look into because I don't like doctors, don't want to end up in the hospital and one, it's pandemic season and them not allow you to be there for me. Mm -hmm. It would literally be my worst nightmare come true. To not have your husband there? Well, to to die alone. Yes. Yeah. You know, I said, and, and I would rather be at home surrounded at first it was just him and I, you know, we'll just make this, you know, about us. And, uh, but then I thought, you know, I've got kids and they're all adults now, uh, or the youngest, uh, is 19. Mm-hmm. And so I said, you know, it's not fair for us to take away their choice either. And the choice that Mimi is talking about here is whether any of her kids would want to be with her when she decides to take the life-ending medication, if she does end up deciding to take it. So I I put it to all of them in the the words of, this is your choice. I am not going to look at you any differently if you say no, because this is something, if you see it, you can't unsee it. Mm Mm-hmm. But, you know, we're talking about this and I explained to him exactly what, what happens as far as what I was told and everything. And we have uh, the the day of planned. Uh, we don't know what day it is yet. Mm-hmm. You know, we haven't got that far. But uh, two, of the, two of them have opted not to stay um, and two of them have opted to stay. Okay. And I'm totally fine with that. Mm-hmm. So right now it's kind of more of, uh, the last time I spoke with my uh, hospice doctor, he said uh, three to six months, and that was a, a little over a month ago. Mm-hmm. I'm leaning more towards the six-month mark because I don't feel like it's going to happen anytime soon. Yeah. I was. I wanted to ask you, how does your body feel right now? Well, you know, it, it has good days and bad days. That's why, it, why it's really weird that I'm dying because I'm like, you know, I know bone cancer is excruciatingly painful, but I didn't realize yet there would still be good days where you didn't have pain. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought it was just ongoing from the time that it started, mm-hmm. but I have days where it's tolerable enough that I don't have to take any med- medication. So those are the best days, you know, where yeah. I'm, I get to be me and completely me. And then you're like, wait a minute, someone perform a miracle. You know, uh-huh. <laughs> but then you feel that twinge. You're like, oh, never mind. There it is. There you know? it is. <laughs> oh, so on those days where you're just in so much pain, you you don't feel like yourself. There are there are a lot of days where the pain changes you completely. 
it changes your attitude. It changes your patience level. I try not to because I know what that it happens, but I still it still happens. I try very hard not to get snarky with people. Mm-hmm. But pain, it's one of those things that you can't get away from it. And, mm-hmm. you know, even with, with the medication that I'm on, sometimes sometimes it's just taking the edge of it off uh, because I have so many reactions to so many different drugs that I just, I finally said, can you just leave me on the one, the one that we know that I don't have reaction to and I'll, I'll just take it every two hours. Mm-hmm. But if I have more pain than what that dose can handle, I have to wait two hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's one of those things that I, I would rather do it that way than than any other way. Yeah. So it sounds like you've put so much thought into considering medical aid in dying. And I'm just wondering, when you first considered it, um, what were some of the thoughts that went through your head just thinking about pursuing it? Um, the reasons why, like I said, were because I don't, I don't really, I didn't want to be in a hospital away from my family. Uh, I didn't want a doctor to dictate how things were going to go. Mm -hmm. I've lost control over everything with this cancer, everything. And I'm kind of a control freak. And this was a way that I could control how and when I was going to leave this world. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to do this because it was a safe alternative at home. Mm -hmm. And that I wouldn't be hooked up to IVs or intubated. I have a, a DNR and, and you know, some, some doctors don't care. They'll do whatever they want, you know, legally or non-legally, you know, they, they'll just do it. Oh, well, we didn't see it. Then my husband would have to make the decision, you know, if I was in a hospital and they had me on, on life support, my husband would have to make that decision. Mm. That's not his decision to make, you know, that's not, a decision I would I would put on anybody if it's my time that's my decision to make and I don't want my husband to live with the fact that he had to say yes turn off her life support mm. you know at such an early age mm-hmm. so I'm curious when you started hospice um, did your fear of dying in a hospital change at all it did um, because I knew that they wouldn't take me to the hospital under any circumstance. So if something goes wrong, I call hospice first, and and then you know they can direct me as to what to do then. Because I don't I don't want to be anywhere but home when I die. So even though Mimi knew that she could die at home while under hospice care she still had her other reasons for pursuing medical aid in dying. She wanted to die in a way that felt right to her, to be able to control the who, the when, the where, and the how of her death. She also wanted to be able to avoid any sort of unbearable pain or suffering. And so after all these considerations, Mimi contacted her oncologist about getting the prescription for medical aid in dying. So I, you know, I started to do some consulting with my oncologist about it. Um, 
and he said, yeah, we do support death with dignity. That's what they call it here in Colorado. And, um, he said, you would need an, another doctor to sign off on it as well. And I said, well, how do I go about finding one? He said, just call my office uh, tomorrow and I will give you a, a name and a number. And because we have other doctors that are proponents for this as well. And so Mimi called her oncologist's office and got the name of another doctor who could be the second doctor to sign off on the prescription. When Mimi spoke with the second doctor, the doctor described the process of getting the prescription, and then a few weeks later, the doctor gave the okay, showed her support, and signed off on Mimi's prescription. But there was an unexpected wrinkle in the plan. The first doctor, Mimi's oncologist, the one who originally said he was in support of medical aid in dying, had yet to sign off on the prescription. My oncologist, in the meantime, kept saying, mm, I don't, mm, I'm not mm, really comfortable signing this. Mm-hmm. And I said, why? I, 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 I have all of the, the criteria. He says, I just, I think that you're making a huge mistake. And I said, it's not your choice. And he said, but I think that, you know, once you're really into the hospice program and get some pain relief, you'll change your mind about treatment. Mm. What was it like for you to hear that? I was pissed because he wasn't listening to me. I've told you, I don't want to do treatment anymore before you even put me in hospice. It wasn't about the pain. It was never about the pain. It was about the fact that I never wanted to do treatment to begin with. Mm -hmm. I only tried it because my husband asked me to. And then when I got so sick, he said, you know, I I can't see you sick like this. Yeah. And if this is going to get worse, he's like, I can't do it. Mm -hmm. And um, so the oncologist was just very, very wishy-washy and kind of backsliding on his original yes we were proponents and and I just I was like okay and so he said I'm going to have to say no Hmm. I'm not going to sign the paper he was fighting me because he wanted me to go back into treatment again and I was like I'm not doing that Hmm. Um, so he then called the other prescribing doctor, and she rescinded her signature. Imagine this for a moment, being so close to getting the one thing that you really want, the thing that you really believe is going to provide you with comfort and peace at the end of your life, and then it's taken away from you. It's another thing that's just totally out of your control. Mimi couldn't quite understand why the second doctor would rescind her signature. Mimi met all the legal criteria for medical aid in dying, so why the sudden change in thinking? Mimi expressed her discomfort about the whole situation with the second doctor. And then they talked. They talked about why the oncologist was hesitating, and then the second doctor came up with a new plan. So then she said, the deal is, we can find another signing physician, but I will be the primary on this. Mm -hmm. 
because the original oncologist said he would he would sign the, for the prescription if he could do a Zoom meeting with you every week until you started to look sicker. Mm. And then he would prescribe the medication. And I was like, this is in my bones. I didn't go through chemo. I'm not going to look sick mm-hmm. until it's too late. So you want to wait till it's too late. So you're really not proponents is what you're saying. She said, no, 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 that's not what he means. And I said, well, no, that's what I'm taking it is that he means. So she said, well, we'll find another doctor, but I have some criteria that I need from you before I'll sign off on this. And I was like, what criteria? I fit all the legal criteria. Mm-hmm. There is no other criteria. And she said, no, there's, there's more not that I'm aware of where, where, where is this other criteria coming from? And she said, from me. Mm-hmm. Okay. What's this criteria? I would need to meet with you on a zoom meeting once a week to see how you're doing. And then I would prescribe the medication when I felt you were ready. Mm. Um, and when you decided to take the medication, I would need somebody to zoom call me. Uh, so that I could be there. And I said, absolutely not. There's no legally bound criteria that says you have to be in attendance of my death. I don't know you. I've met you on Zoom three times. Mm-hmm. You're not my regular primary care physician who does know me. You're not my oncologist or anybody like that. Mm-hmm. How dare you want to be at the end of my day, yeah. the day I've decided to take the medication, you want to be there? Mm-hmm. She said, well, it's in case something goes wrong. And I said, what are you going to do over the phone? There's absolutely nothing you could do. Mm-hmm. I live in the middle of the country. You can't do anything from your phone. So there's no reason. And I, I feel it is an invasion of my privacy. And it's this is a very private time of my life just for me and my family yeah, and you know, the people that I've chosen to have, I mean, I've not even asked my sisters or my parent to, if they wanted to be here, it was just my children. Mm-hmm. And you as a doctor who I've never met want to be here. No, absolutely not. Will not do it. So then what did you do next? Well, and, and it's still, she was still trying to talk me into it. I'm here because I'm dying mm-hmm. and I've met all the criteria under Colorado law. And now you're adding your own and you're fired. And then Mimi was adrift. Her healthcare team had come up with a plan that wasn't in line with what Mimi wanted. Then Mimi got on TikTok and she got connected with a woman from Compassion and Choices. One of the things that Compassion and Choices does is connect patients with resources related to medical aid and dying. They were a complete different entity. You know what I mean? Mm. It was, it was night and day difference from my oncologist and the, the other doctor that was going to sign off. In what way? Um, they were very like, I mean, honestly, their, their title is exactly how they are. The, the compassion and the choices and just treating me like a human being, you know, they would call me, how are you doing? Are you okay? Mm -hmm. And really like, 
wanting to know how I was as a person. And I was no longer patient XYZ Mm -hmm. because that's what I kept saying is you're just, I went to my oncologist. I kept saying, you are looking at scans and statistics. You are not looking at me as a person. Mm. And I need, I need a doctor that's going to look at me like a person. And they were looking at me like I was a person and I was like, wow, how people like that exist. (laughs) So it was, it was amazing. So they give me a list uh, because they can't do your homework for you. They're to facilitate and, you know, provide information and, and which I think is, is absolutely amazing. It changed everything. I had choices with what I was going to do and I had choices with who, who I could see. And I ended up finding a doctor at Denver health and there were also completely different than my oncologist and the signing physician. Mm-hmm treated me like a person again and, and, and were very concerned about me and my feelings and how I was feeling about this whole process. And they, you know, they signed the paperwork after, after, you know, the first initial meeting and uh, was with just her. And then the second was her and another prescribing physician and they prescribed it. And she said, you don't have to do anything else. Hmm. Um, I said, okay. And, um, she said it it has a six month shelf life, so you can choose when you want to come get it. Just know it takes two days for them to get the compounding agents together. So she said, you know, call them a couple of days before you want it, but know that you then have six months to use it. Okay. After that six months, we have to go through this all over again because. I can't just write you another prescription. Mm -hmm. And she said, but you know, it is your choice. If you don't, if you get this prescription and then you decide you don't want to take it, you don't have to take it. Mm -hmm. This is all up to you after this. So what was it like to hear that and to actually have the prescription? It, it was so amazing. It was, it was like the weight of the world had finally come off my shoulders. Wow. I mean, as, as weird as it sounds, you know, it's, it's like, finally, this is, this is what I've been asking for for months. Mm -hmm. And I finally, finally have it. And, and I know that I know what that means and everything. I know what that means, but I was celebrating because I didn't have to fight anybody anymore to get the prescription. I was a different person the next day. Definitely. You know, I was, I was happier because I didn't have to worry about how am I going to get this done? When am I going to get this done and who to call? What, what do I do? Uh, just continuously in a state of feeling overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And this was finally, I was able to breathe mm-hmm. and know oh. that, that it's there. It's there right now. You know, the prescription's there right now. If I, if I took a turn for the worst tomorrow, mm-hmm. I could call it, have my husband call it in and uh, we go down and pick it up and it's whenever. And I don't know when that is, but I'm working closely with my hospice doctor. He is a proponent for death with dignity. And the last time I talked to him, I said, what are, what is my prognosis now? And he said, 
three to six months. Mm-hmm. And he said, I said, I, I would tell you your months or weeks. And he said, we're still in the months. So you've got some time. Mm. But when you get down to the weeks, I'll let you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I said, okay, because that's what I wanted. I wanted someone that would, would, would listen to me and be able to say, okay, she's got weeks. So we need to go ahead and let her get her medication mm-hmm. um, so that she has that on board for whenever, whenever she decides or if she decides to use it. Right. Well, so I was hoping that we could pivot back because I am curious. I know you had talked about why pursuing medical aid in dying was important to you and your thinking behind that. And I'm wondering when you were thinking about pursuing it or before you even told your husband, Jesse, your kids, did you have any reservations about it? Absolutely not. Um, I knew enough about it that I knew that it was a safe alternative and knowing myself, you know, as far as uh, knowing that I don't, I don't want to be hooked up to IVs and, you know, I don't like shots and I don't, I don't want this and I don't want that. And um, to me, it was the best solution mm-hmm. period. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't know how other people would feel about it, but in the end, this was, this was my choice. Mm-hmm. And, um, I've only had a couple of people that have, uh, voiced their disapproval over my choice. Mm-hmm. And I said, that's fine. You don't have to accept it, but you do have to respect it. Mm. What was it like bringing it up to your husband for the first time? I mean, I know you said you had some really deep, dark conversations with him. What was it like? Well, you know, I mean, to talk to your spouse about dying in itself is not something that you do on a normal basis. But because I had had cancer before, mm-hmm. we had had conversations, you know, the what ifs conversations. He understood. Mm-hmm. And he said, it's your choice. You you have to do this your way. Did your kids feel the same way? Um, let me back up just a little bit. I I have actually five children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't forget one. It's uh, uh my older two are um, from my first ex husband. Mm-hmm. My younger two are from my second ex husband, and my fifth is actually my sister's son. Okay. And he's not legally adopted. It's just my sister was not available enough for him mm-hmm. uh, when he was growing up and as an adult. So I just kind of said one day, gosh, you know, I wish you were my son. And he said, I, I wish you were my mom. And I was like, okay, I'm adopt you. Oh. And he's been my son ever since. So um, my daughter and I actually have not spoken since before this anyway so that had no no bearing on it at all mm-hmm. my I don't know about I don't really know about my my oldest son he was he just got back from Syria uh, about two weeks ago um, so when I had to tell him I was terminally ill when he was in Syria mm. See, he's in the army and the youngest one 
<clears throat> is one of those that doesn't express his feelings very much or at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, my ex-husband number two passed away five years ago from uh, brain cancer. Mm, and it took him two, almost two years to come to me and say, I'm having problems with this, oh. you know, with, with the, with the amount of grief and, and the trauma and everything like that. So I don't, I don't know. He's, he's accepted it. He knows it's, he, he knows that it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, he's accepted. It. He said, it's your choice, mom. You've got to do what you've got to do. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know really what's inside his head. Mm-hmm. Uh, and same with the, the, the other, other one that lives in the area. He's, he's like, you know, mom, you, you've got to do what you got to do. Mm-hmm. So as far as I know, they're, they're okay with it. There is something that Mimi wrestled with when thinking about pursuing medical aid in dying. She was raised Catholic, and the Roman Catholic Church opposes medical aid in dying. So she struggled with this thought, the thought that she may not go to heaven as a result of pursuing medical aid in dying. But then she thought this. I can't see that my God, the person that has loved me and blessed me my entire life would want me to go through undue pain Mm. and I think that he's made this an option Uh, I know it's man-made you know what I mean I know I know it is but God created man so ultimately God give gave a man the idea to do this so that this was possible for people like me. When I had um, the first round of cancer, I would get sick. I had something happen every year where I was diagnosed with a second, you know, my second heart condition. Um, I had, I was diagnosed with neuropathy um, in my hands and my feet, even though I hadn't been on chemo radiation. Mm. And then um, the um, osteoarthritis in my back. And so I, I had a lot to deal with over the last, you know, four or five years. And I used to lay in bed at night and say, I'm not going to take my own life. That's not an option. But can you let me just go to sleep and not wake up? Mm-hmm. And I think that this was his answer. Mm. You've put so much thought into this. I really have. I really have. This was not, this was not a, Oh, I have cancer. Okay, let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm <Wow>. out of here. <laughs> yeah, wow. Oh my gosh. Um Well, I'm curious if you do decide to take the medication, do you have a sense of when you might know when you're ready or is it just kind of a feeling that you'll know? I think it's going to be a feeling. I think it's going to be a feeling, you know. Uh like I said, I'm working closely with my hospice hospice doctor mm-hmm. and I just I think that there's going to be a feeling and in, in, in a clear decline in my health for for me to say it's time mm-hmm. and and that's not yet that's not yet do you have any fears about it about the about dying of course I do I you know I don't think there honestly to be honest even people that say oh, I have no fear of dying you're lying. You're lying. 
Yes, I'm afraid to. I'm I'm afraid to die. I'm afraid because I don't know what's next, mm-hmm. and that's that's the part that I'm afraid of. Uh, uh, you know, I'm afraid of leaving my family behind, but I know that this is painless. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. My option is painless, and for me, it's painless. But then what? So yeah, I'm 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 a little scared. Yeah. Well, I I wonder you've thought a lot about who would be around you. I mean, what what would feel like a good death to you? Oh, I have it pictured. We have it planned out. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of a planner. OCD. I understand. Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um so we my husband and I uh, bought a a swing uh, to go outside, a glider swing, mm. two-seater, really nice. And because um, we have the beautiful views of the mountains for where we live. And so we're, we're going to pick a spot and put our swing right there and, you know, a glider swing. I want to spend the day with my, my kids, all of my kids mm-hmm. and my husband, do normal stuff. And as the day progresses, I slowly start to move things outside mm-hmm. and I am going to smoke a cigarette. <laughs> I'm going to drink a strawberry margarita. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm going to play my favorite songs and, you know, my favorite genre of songs. Yeah. And, um, just as the sun goes down, it, I want to have already taken the, the medication and just drift off to sleep hmm. uh, in my husband's arms. That's a really special image that you're describing. Yeah. Wow. You really do have it planned out. Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I do. It's a, it's important to me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because I, you know, with my, my, the children that have chosen to be here, I just, I, I want to see one more sunset. Mm. So, you know, and I want my children to know until the very last moment that I love them and my husband. Mm. And I feel like I can do that, you know, at home. Yeah. In your spot. In my, in my spot. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Well, I know that you've been, um, busy with your time and, and spending a lot of time thinking about other people right now with the time that you do have left, what's bringing you the most joy? Oh, my husband. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Seriously. Seriously, my husband is my joy. Um, I mean, like, I have great kids, you know, but they're all adults and they have their lives. And so it's my husband. He brings me joy. I'm happy uh, the days that he doesn't have to go into work and that, you know, I can wake up and after I've taken a nap and he's sitting there uh, on the computer, you know, Mm -hmm. or in the recliner creepily watching me, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know? Um, 
Well, I appreciate you sharing this all with me so much. And um, I just have two more questions, if that's okay. Um, So so I know when we last spoke, you said you were making some things for your children and grandchildren. And when they think about you, your children and grandchildren, um, after you've died, what are, what are some things that you really hope they remember about you? Well, my, my grandchildren, um, unfortunately, um, the age that they are now, they won't remember me or, or they might have little snippets of memory. Uh, one, one of them will, he's, he's older, he's 10. So, but the other two won't, won't remember me. Um, so I had put together, uh, what I call a Mimi book. Um, (laughs) and it's just, it's just pictures of me at different points in time in my life. It has no words. And in the front, it says, have mom and mom or dad sit down with you and tell you the story about your Mimi. Hmm. So it's in my children's eyes, you know, and, and they can ask questions, you know, instead of me giving them the narrative of my life. Wow. That's so cool. And I just, I, I just didn't want to, you know, this is who I am. This was my, my, my children know me. Um, So I wanted, I wanted them to be able to tell their children about me in their terms. Mm -hmm. So without, without me saying, this is who I am. This is, this was, this was how I lived. This was, you know what I mean? Yeah. These, these are my pictures. These are just a small snippet of my life. Your, your parent can tell you more, you Mm -hmm. know, than any picture can. The picture can capture a moment, but they can tell you the story behind the moment. Wow. So. Wow. And so knowing that you're, most of your grandchildren are younger. If you could think of like, what's a one wish that you have for your grandchildren? Um, that they're happy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I want, I want, I want them to, I want them to be kids for as long as they can be. And I want them to be happy. I want them to be happy children, having fun, having, being, carefree Mm. and you know being a child I want them to do that and I don't want them to have to worry about well my my grandma died so maybe I'll die too you know Mm -hmm. um but I just want them to be happy Mm. you know and you would ask me and I didn't really answer it what what I want them to know about me was that I loved them Mm mm-hmm even the ones that aren't here yet because I have two children that aren't even in relationships, haven't gotten married and don't have kids. I know that I would have loved their children just as much as the, I, the grandchildren that I already have. Mm. Are you doing okay? Yeah. Sorry. I had a moment. No, that's, that's of course. Okay. This is big. Yeah. I think that's the part that bothers me the most is um, not seeing my my uh, younger children get married mm-hmm. and have children. Unfortunately, it's not in my cards. 
I'm so sorry. I wish you could meet them one day. Oh, I, I do too. I do because oh. I had promised my ex-husband that I would be there. <laughs> and, uh, but he knows, he knows just as well as I do that you can't control it. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can't control cancer. So he knows now. He knows. Yeah. Didn't you say that you were making something for your unborn grandchildren as well? Yes, I yeah, I made them all. I I'm already done. Um, I made them all blankets because uh, I crochet. I made them all blankets because all of the other grandchildren that have already been born have their blanket from Mimi. Uh, mm -hmm. So I wanted my unborn grandchildren, you know, at least. Uh, the first one, you know, I, I, I don't know how many they're going to have. They're just going to have to use the one blanket for all of them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they have more than one, but um, yeah, I made, I made a blanket for each of my children. I don't know if they're going to have girls or boys or anything like that, but um, I have two beautiful scarves that I don't know why, but I had kept the boxes to it, and now I know why. And it's what I did was um, have custom cards made up and I said to my two youngest boys, I'm going to tape these shut. You won't know which one is which. Mm -hmm. So you can't choose. You just, you know what I mean? Like you won't get to choose which one. You just choose a box and you won't know. But on your only daughter's, you know, 18th birthday, I would like for you to give her this. Oh, wow. And so, and then I've, I've also sat down and handwritten birthday cards to each of my grandchildren until their 18th birthday. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I just want, I, I want them to know how much I love them. Mm-hmm. I imagine they're really going to feel that. I mean, it's just such a, I, uh, I hope so. I hope so. Wonderful thought that these blankets are going to wrap themselves up in it. You know, something yeah. that you yeah. created, you touched. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, I am just, I feel so honored for you to tell me all this. And I just thank you so much. Um, it's just been such a joy talking to you. I thank you very much. I appreciate it. After my conversation with Mimi, I thought a lot about control, a theme that seems to come up a lot in this podcast. While how much we want to control and what we want to control may be different for each person, most of us do seem to want to control something. And you can just hear Mimi's relief to have a sense of control over her death. Mimi, it was a privilege to talk with you. Thank you so much for allowing me and my listeners to enter into this personal space with you. I hope that whatever you choose to do feels just right. And I hope that you get to see one last amazing sunset on the day of your death. I'm Alexandra, and this is Six Months or Less. Thank you all so much for joining me.